Hi, I'm Chanel, agency owner, marketing coach, speaker, and your official human sunshine. I've been in marketing since 2009 and have run a successful strategy and content marketing agency since 2018. Jaded by my corporate life, I quit my job to travel the world and start my own business. I've learned so much in my business journey and I want to share it with you. The Sunshine Podcast for Women in Business offers marketing advice for industry professionals and inspiring stories for women netting life and business. If you love the podcast, please subscribe and share with someone who would enjoy it too. But for now, sit back, relax and enjoy your daily dose of sunshine. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sunshine Podcast for Women in Business. And boy, do I have a treat for you today. I have Amelia Ryan on the show, and I'm very excited about it. I've got a little snippet of text that I pinched from her website just to give you a little little prelude into the lovely Amelia. In her own beautiful words, Amelia is a sequin-wearing storyteller, a witty and sometimes even wise wordsmith, a soul-stirring speaker, an ever-curious coach, a multitasking mama, a presenter, producer, and an all-round alliteration assassin, which I thought was very clever, and I really appreciate good alliteration, so thank you, Amelia. She spent a decade working as a comedian, sharing her stories, and is now on a mission to empower and educate as many big-hearted humans as possible to share their own incredible message with the world in a way that is meaningful, masterful, and magnetic. Ladies and gentlemen, Amelia Ryan. Hello, thank you. What a delight I wouldn't have to take is. credit for that, but you that was all in your own words. And it's a real testament to how beautiful you are and how beautifully you write and can tell a story. So welcome, Amelia. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks, Chanel. No, I do love alliteration. And in fact, so much so that my my son has just turned six. And just in the past couple of weeks, I've taught him about alliteration because you're never too young. You're never too young to start alliterating things. It's so no. pleasing to the ear. No, <laughs> and I'm I'm quite impartial to an onomatopoeia, an onomatopoeia mm. phrase as well. Um, Absolutely. So yes, no, I pre- appreciate all of that. Now, um, there's so much stuff that I want to ask you and there's so many things that I want to um, hear from you today, but I thought we'd do, not that we need icebreakers as performers, but I just thought mm-hmm. that it would be really fun to do this. So real quick, quick, just quick fire, three things, favorite musical. Sure. Uh, look, the sound of music was the first thing that, that just came to mind purely because it was the first one I saw. Yeah. So we'll run with that. Uh, but look, I'm also a sucker for Les Miserables. And then, like, can we go on to Off Broadway? I mean, wow, is this is this the, all that we're trying to chatting about for the podcast? I, oh, mean, I know that, it, it does deserve its own <laughs> podcast in itself. I have to be honest; I didn't get, I didn't. That's the Le, and I can't even say it properly. Lemis, Lemis, Lemis. I, I didn't yeah. get into it. Wicked and Lemis were the two that I I couldn't quite get into. Sound of Music, yes, but those two I didn't, which I feel really disappointed in me. No, that's, you know, that's just being discerning to your taste. Uh, I'm just thinking about some of the more modern musicals, though. I mean, I Love You, You're Perfect Now Change, great review, Little Shop of Horrors. Into, do you know what? Into the Woods. Okay, into I was the woods. just I'm about to say Little woods. Shop of Horrors. My mom used to, we used to watch that, and at the Rock, we had the Rocky Horror Picture Show tape that we used to watch mm. when we were, like, five years old. Um, I don't know how my mom thought that that was okay, considering the subject matter, but I'd probably <laughs> say that's my favourite. Um, yeah, Rocky Horror Picture Show for sure. Yeah, brilliant. But there's a lot of good ones out there. 
Favorite businesswoman? Oh, gosh. Yeah. The list is long. So thinking back sort of to span my journey, I would say that I got into the business world and certainly interested in the online business world through Marie Folio. And I love her that she brings quirk and personality to her content. Uh, you know, when you look at her videos, et cetera. And then when it comes to my own journey, I love Jodie, Jodie Nevard, who we work with here in Adelaide at The Seven Effect. Ellie Swift is one of my business mentors. She's over in Perth. She's really wonderful and dynamic. Um, I love kind of the writing and the soul of Danielle Laporte. Um who else, who else have I been getting? Look, I've actually had a little bit of hiatus from business for the past probably 10 months because I've had a baby. So I'm yeah. sort of like, oh, yeah, the business. Who are my business inspirations? Um, I'm just thinking I love Suze Chadwick who's in Melbourne. She's really great, She's really bad, yeah. just, yeah, tells it like it is as well. I've, I've done one of her retreats. So there's a little little selection it's a good and they're girls who I know, yeah, and there's some girls who I know personally as well. So it's nice to share the love with your with your pals. So how's it been taking some time off? Because I'm not going to lie, sometimes I've thought about having a baby just so, <laughs> and I thought just so that I could take time off work. But it's obviously it's just as much, if not far more. How has your year off work been? It's been really interesting. So Ollie is my second baby, my second son. And with Archie, I didn't really take time off. Um, So I was back on stage when he was 10 weeks old. He did 50 flights by the time he turned one, just from all of the touring that I did. And by the end of that, he was a very adaptable baby, but I was a nervous wreck. I was just really depleted. He was still feeding a lot overnight. And so it was very clear to me this time around that I was going to take some time off. Uh, things have changed though in the business. When I when I had Archie, I was a sole trader. I was pretty much a solo performer. I wasn't running a company. I wasn't coaching people. So I'd built up this this business and this brand by the time I fell pregnant with Ollie and this company. And then it 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 almost just I had to just leave it hanging. So that was tricky. But I also knew on a deep soul, maternal personal level that this is time that I won't get back with Ollie and as a family and so we've really just used this year and I say we because it's it's a collective decision I think when you've got a partner and, and a couple of children that I would just I didn't necessarily take time off but I just sat down for a bit I didn't I didn't sleep I just sat down and I just took the pedal off the gas and that's been actually really good because I got to the end of last year and I just thought make it stop make it stop yeah. All of these spinning of the plates, all of the things that I was trying doing and and trying to achieve and trying to to facilitate, and that that was that was the way that I ended the year, which is not which I think is telling when you need a little bit of a break. So it, it came at a good time, and it's been a really good opportunity to to recalibrate and to think about okay, well, what do I want this next chapter to look like? We don't do that enough. I think there's so many of us that are guilty of it. And I don't know if it's a female thing. Um, and I don't know if it's sexist to say that. Um, but I'm just 
yeah, I'm just constantly doing that to myself. And I know that it's not, you know, that, that's not doing me any good. And I know that I'm, it's, it's almost like I'm addicted to stress and I'm addicted to having yep. all these things going on because I've mentioned yep. this in the podcast before, but I value myself based on action. So if I'm not yep. doing action, I feel like I am worth nothing because I'm not doing and giving and, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, And it's terrible that we don't just stop often enough to take stock of where we're at and recalibrate like you said mm-hmm. um there's a woman that I had on the podcast a while ago named Claire and she does um she owns a business called Mumhood My Way and she does these gorgeous retreats mm. for the mums and god I'm jealous I thought I thought I'm gonna have a baby because these retreats look amazing and unless I'm forced to actually go on something like a, a retreat I won't switch mm. off um so yeah we uh, yeah I just wish I knew how I'm working on it I'm working on it but it's not easy it's not an easy thing to do Oh, I completely hear you. And I think the key is to get ahead of that before before something else stops you, you know, before you reach burnout or before, you know, that, that for me has always been having spent my, you know, up until probably about 30 or so going, going, going until I'd crash my car, you know, until something actually from the universe wakes you up. So it's about saying, okay, finding those opportunities to say, is this is the way I'm operating working for me holistically, physiologically, physically, mentally, and then and then yeah, it's it's stepping off the train, it's stepping off for a mm. bit. And I completely hear you on the on attaching action to self-worth and productivity, I think is such a big one. Productivity to self-worth. And that's been really tricky for me this year, you know, knowing that if I achieve unpacking the dishwasher and keeping Ollie's bum clean and him fed that's enough and no one knows about it no one else knows no one's no one I can't share about that on social media no one's clapping me and I'm a performer I get clapped just to go to work so it's been a real it's a real ego shift to go this is enough this is it's that sense of enoughness it's so interesting you've said that as well because I realized recently that um I love giving to other people and I don't necessarily expect anything back. It's not like if I buy you mm. lunch, you put to buy me lunch, or if I give you mm-hmm. advice, you would have given me advice. But what I did realize, and maybe this is the performer in me, I do like recognition. Yeah. I do like it when somebody says, You did a good job. That's a good job. Well, good work. And my husband's great at that. Like I'll do something really basic and he'll be like, Good work, Chanelli. And I just, I just really like it. It's really quite important. Yeah, to me. Um, it is. Yeah. So okay, I, I, I want to, I would love for you to, I, I want to get into your story because you've got such a beautiful story. But before we do that, I'm going to get a beer in my bonnet. If I don't ask you what your favorite memory on stage was, that was my last little, little icebreaker question. Oh, uh, it would have to be um, when I took my first solo show to New York City and it was a show based on all of uh, a bunch of my life stories and taking the bow and getting a standing ovation. It it was like every single element and chapter and, and shitty and shiny part of my life had led me to that moment. It made everything in my life make sense. And it was in that, you know, funny, we're just talking about applause and recognition. It was in that taking the bow and, and experiencing that, that I was like, uh huh yeah okay now I get it yeah 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 let's let's rewind because um I saw Amelia speak at Freedom Fest last year and she was absolutely incredible um and I would just love for you to tell 
elements of your story because it, it's such a powerful um, story from where you've come from to where you are today. Um, so I'd love for you to share to share a bit of of, of your story with us. Sure. So. Look, the story really starts when I was a little girl and uh, my parents took me to see my first live theatre show, which was The Sound of Music. And I'll never forget sitting on the chair and watching these performers on the stage, but not just watching the performers. I was really curious about the moments that transpired between the audience sitting in their seats and the performers on stage and how music and words and the activity and the lights and everything that was happening could affect the audience in such a beautiful and captivating way. It was something about that exchange that that really sp- piqued my interest. And I made up my mind then and there that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be Greshel in The Sound of Music. And and so there, and thus became, became, began a life of theatre classes and singing lessons and dance classes and summer productions and amateur theatre seasons and drama camps and you know I was the annoying kid at school who was always singing on the microphone and captain of the debating team etc I was really just comfortable and happy being expressive and and being seen and heard and I found real joy and purpose in that uh but not only was I was I gaining (laughs) credits on my amateur theatre CV I was also at the time, behind the scenes, collecting these little chapters in my personal story. So when I was 10 years old, I found a pamphlet that my dad left lying on our coffee table and the pamphlet said, Discovery, a seminar for gay married men. And that was my discovery that our life as a family was about to take a a pretty sharp turn. And then a few months later, I realised that my mum was having an affair with our much, much younger handyman. He was 23 she was in her mid-30s, so it was quite scandalous. In hindsight, a bit fabulous. But at the time, coupled with my dad's sexuality, it, it was all really quite confronting and, and fairly traumatic as a 10-year-old. And I didn't tell anyone that I knew. I didn't tell my parents that I'd found the pamphlet. I didn't tell my mum that I, that I knew she was having an affair. I just buried these things deep within my psyche And I grew up in a little tiny town called Bombo, which is on the south coast of New South Wales, and it has a population of about 30. It's on the beach. No one else was gay, you know, certainly not out. This was in the mid-90s. So I didn't want anybody to know that Dad was gay. I thought that he would get teased, I would get bullied, et cetera. So I just really internalised all of these things. But I kept going as a performer. I kept, you know, and and I set my sights on not only becoming a performer, but on making it to Broadway in New York City. That was the goal. I, by hook or by crook, I wanted to get to Broadway. The path from Bombo to Broadway was not entirely clear, but I knew that I wanted to get there. And when I finished school, I graduated, I actually graduated with as ducks of my school. I got a UAI of 99.4, but instead of going out and doing law or medicine or something that might have actually brought in a stable income, much to the dismay of my teachers, I went and studied musical theatre and I moved to Sydney and I was studying musical theatre by day and I was a pizza waitress by night and I was utterly living the dream. And then one night I went out with a bunch of guys who I worked with and they were friends of mine. We'd been out before. They were fun. I trusted them. One of them bought me my first drink and that's the last thing I remember about the night. 
the next thing I remember is waking up and I was surrounded by five of the men on the bed and they, they raped me. And that moment single-handedly changed the entire course of my life. I went from being this vivacious, vibrant, aspirational, purposeful young woman. I was nearly 19 at the time, so I was 18, to absolutely disassociating really and in that and I remember walking out of the apartment the next morning and I was violently ill but my drink had obviously been spiked and it's like the world was operating around me and my life had changed as I knew it and it's like I lost my passion my purpose and especially my power and the years that followed were incredibly bleak and it manifested physically. You know, I cut off, I had this long blonde curly hair. I cut it off into a short black mullet. I pierced my nose. I started drinking copious amounts, taking copious amounts of drugs, anything that I could do to disassociate myself from the girl who had, in quotation marks, found herself in that position because I thought, how could I, how could I have trusted these people? How could I have ended up in this position? Absolutely blamed myself and, again, didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my flatmates who I lived with. I didn't tell a single soul. I didn't tell my parents because I thought if I can't, if I can't process this, if I can't process this trauma, how can I ask anyone else to? And so I began this process of just, again, internalizing these things that were really big and significant to me. And then this went on for a couple of years. Um, and then a few years later, my mum and I randomly went out for lunch one day in Coochie and I looked across the road and there was this Balinese furniture shop and I couldn't afford Balinese furniture. I could barely afford a cup of coffee. But I said, mum, I just want to go and look at this store. It looks really interesting. It was like this six, six cents. And I went downstairs of this store, like followed these, these intuitive breadcrumbs and there was this uh, tarot card reader there. And I'd never seen a tarot card reader before. And I said to my mom, mom, I have to see this woman. And I sat down and she knew everything about me. She knew that I carried all of this trauma in my throat chakra. She knew about my dad's sexuality. She knew that I was a performer, but I was no longer performing. She said that I needed to go and audition for a drama school. And she said, you need to audition for more than one. She said there's in, in different states. So she said, you need to go and you need to get back on, onto your performing track. And then she took my hand and she said, there's a girl here by the name of Rose and she wants to know that she's with you every opening night. And I had a sister, Roseanne, who passed away. And every single show that I did growing up, I had this little pre-show ritual every opening night of sitting backstage and asking her to be with me to help me calm my nerves and to know that she was there standing alongside me. My sister passed away when she was three of a brain tumour. And it, it was uncanny the amount that this woman was able to intuit. And it was a real kind of sign but also wake up call that I had been living completely unaligned with who I was at my core passionate purposeful powerful and so I did as she said I enrolled I uh, enrolled for a couple of auditions for per uh, WAPA in WA and VCA in Melbourne long story short I got into Melbourne uh, into VCA and I started performing again I started doing musical theatre, singing, getting back onto the stage, but more than anything, being comfortable, being seen and heard because they are the two things that I did not want to be. I did not want to attract any attention to myself. I did not want to be attractive. I didn't want to be vivacious because I felt that they were the things that landed me in this position of complete disempowerment. And and so, yes, I started, I started to find my voice again. 
And then a couple of years into my course, we had to do a unit on creating our own cabaret show, our own one-person show. We had to create a 15-minute little teaser, if you will, to showcase. And the teacher said, right, what stories have you got to bring to the table? Is there anything about your life? And it just poured out of me. My dad's sexuality, my my mum, my mum's affair, the fact that I'd been working covertly as a stripper to pay for my, to pay my way through drama school. Again, nobody knew about it. I collected fifteen thousand dollars worth of parking fines because I was so irresponsible. I couldn't take responsibility for any element of my life. I'd cr- you, just all these things, some of which were really funny, and some of which were were quite. Th- there was hilarity and there was heartache, and they coexisted quite beautifully by that stage and not forgetting that you know by this stage I was in my mid-20s so it's sort of been 15 years since my dad my mum and dad separated and my dad came out uh, all of which of course eventually became public knowledge you know even though I kept it to myself for a couple of years so all of these stories then started to take shape all of these stories that I had internalized and held with such shame or uh you know, I, I was so unsure about how they would be received. They just poured out of me and took took the form of a show. And it was a comedy cabaret show. And that show became the catalyst for the rest of my life. So it became my catalyst for self-expression. It became my catalyst for healing. And it became my catalyst for connection. Because through this, through my stories, I had this motto that I would only tell stories from my life if it made the audience feel better about their life. And the the show was was great. It was really well well received. I had sellout seasons in Melbourne. Then I took it to Sydney. Then I took it to Wollongong, which was my hometown. And and my friends and my teachers they all began to learn all the, all of these truths about me. And then I I won a competition that got me a place in all of the cabaret festivals around Australia and to New York City. And as I said earlier in the podcast, all of those chapters, all of those hurts, those heartaches the wonderful parts, the shitty parts, they all made sense in the in the sense that through my story, I could help other people make sense of their story through, by ma- through making them think, through making them laugh and through making them feel. And that became my life's work really. So I, I performed the show in New York. While I was in New York, I met my husband, my now husband. So he was a producer from Adelaide. He was working as an intern at the New York Music Theatre Festival where I was working. He came up to me after the first rehearsal that he saw. He said, can I, is, is all of the stuff in your show true? I said, 100%. I said, I wouldn't make any of this up. And he said, even the part about your dad? I said, yeah, yeah, your dad, my dad came out when I was 10. And he said, yeah, wow, my dad's gay too. And I said, you had me at gay dad. <laughs> and we... We got together within eight weeks. I was living in Adelaide. I was living out of my car at the time, but I I was living in Adelaide. We now have our own arts company together dedicated to bringing compelling stories to the stage. We have two sons and now I work with other big hearted humans. I work with coaches, creatives and consultants to help them take their story to the stage in a way that is authentic and meaningful and masterful to them. Oh my God, Amelia, you just, I could, I could sit and listen to you all day. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I think it's such a, a powerful story and your bravery and your vulnerability to share it with everybody is just something that I really applaud you for because not everyone gets to that point, like talking about your journey of holding everything in and not 
you know, coming out of that, there's a lot of people who who are stuck there. Um, and the fact that you not only came out of that yourself, but now are somebody who can help people find their voice again and help people tell their stories in a way. Um, you know, I know it's it's not therapy, um, but in some ways it can it can probably feel like therapy and quite at least cathartic to to get that out. So I just think your your story is so inspirational and you're so talented and you're so um resilient and just yeah, what a pleasure to even be able to sit and have this conversation with you in this very moment. And it made, it made I'm quite emotional. <laughs> oh, thanks, Chanel. I appreciate that. And look on that. I have a saying that's not my saying, but it's something that I believe is really poignant and and important here is speaking from a scar and not a wound. And I didn't start sharing about the sexual assault until last year because it was approaching 20 years, you know? So I didn't talk about that in my first show because I wasn't ready. And when you're not ready as a performer or as a speaker to share your story, the audience can sense that. So whatever you're sharing from the stage, I always say it has to be a gift, not a burden. Mm. So for me, it's like there's a process of, yes, it is therapeutic. Yes, it is cathartic. And in that writing process, in the rehearsal process, it all of the emotion, it can feel like a dredging, an absolute dredging. And as a coach, I love, you know, I hold my clients' hands through that dredging. By the time we get it to the stage, though, it's an art and a craft, and that's that for me has been a really important learning to go, oh, is this story ready for an audience or is this story best suited for, for the therapy room, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of what I've shared, it's been a work in progress. It's been a first we start with, with honouring and owning the story ourselves. Then we take it to a therapy space. Then we take it to a more public space, you know? So, yeah. And I think as as artists, as people, as speakers, you know, we know when we're ready to share a story because it's I always say you, you know when you own your story it doesn't own you and it's making that shift yeah who's... absolutely yeah absolutely. and it's so fascinating what you do and I'd love to unpack that a little bit more so talk me through you mentioned you work with you know creatives and consultants and coaches um but you know how do you I, I mean I'd love for you to just sort of step me through the process. Mm. I mean, how does somebody know whether, I mean, I'm a creative and I, as you know, would love to bring a show to life. So that's a very obvious thing for me to work with you. But in terms of like coaches and consultants, what sort of position are they in where they decide, oh, I've got the story that I want to tell, but I just don't know how to tell it. I suppose that's the situation that they're in when they come to you. So talk me a little bit about Mm. sort of who you work with and what you do and and how you do it. Sure. So I work, yes, so I work with coaches and consultants as well as creatives, and so many people have these wonderful, inspiring, compelling, intriguing, evocative, provocative stories, but they don't know how to tell it, and they can't, they don't know how to tell it in a way that's that's purposeful, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. It's like, okay, you want, you've got this story, you've got this incredible story, it might be a heartbreaking story or a harrowing story, why do you want to tell it? Getting to the sense of that why a why that is both externally and internally motivated is really important because it helps, A, it helps them do the work in crafting it. B, it helps them get through any fear that might be getting in the way. What are people going to think when they hear this story? What are my family going to think? Are people going to think I'm this or that, indulgent, uh, et cetera? So we always work 
so just to backtrack, actually, I work with four sort of key elements. That's soul, that's the why, the foundation, story, then we unpack the story, then we work on structure. How do we structure this story so that there's craft and that there's nuance and there's intrigue and then skills. Skills is how do we bring this story to life on the stage through delivery, through presentation, through pitch, pace, personality, all of those things. So they're the four key elements and that's essentially working from the ground up. So soul into story, then into the structure and then into the skills. And sometimes I think, you know, when people say, oh, I just want to work on my presentation techniques, it's like, sure, but can we dig a little deeper and, and when, when I find that we go through that process of really working from the inside out and the ground up, that final result, once they are on stage, is so much more empowered and captivating. Because as with anything, I think, in business, when you work from the inside out, the result and the connection to your intended audience is so much more profound. So, you know, in terms of the process, I'm a really big fan of I spend quite a bit of time talking, asking questions. I'm like a doula for stories. And so we, I, I want to birth these stories in a really meaningful way. And so we do a lot of groundwork and that part can be tedious. It's, it's the, it's the uh, dredging. It can feel sticky. It can feel uncomfortable. It can feel, where is this going? It's that initial part of the creative process where you're staring at a blank page, not really knowing where it's going to go, but trusting that where it is going to go is going to be magical. And so it's that unearthing, it's a catharsis, it's a conceptualizing, it's a lot of shitty first drafts, throwing things at the wall, seeing what sticks, going down one direction, about turning, backtracking for a bit, take, you know, it's that. And I've done this so many times now that I really trust in that process and I trust myself as a facilitator of that process. So I just hold my client's hand and go, trust me, we're going to get through this and then we're going to get to the next iteration, which is clarity. Then once you've got clarity, oh my Lord, you are on your way. Clarity around your idea, clarity around the story you want to tell, clarity clarity around who it's for, clarity around why, clarity around well, what parts are funny, what parts are heartbreaking, how do we take them on that journey from laughing to crying? Once it becomes clear, then you're just one step in front of the next. And then you get to craft, which is a really delicious, and notice the alliteration here, conceptualization, clarity into craft. So that's the detailing. It's the editing. It's going back, doing a second and third draft, going, oh, how can we make this sentence pop? What if we just place this bit of the story back here? What if we planted a seed there? What if we, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Or there's a bit of an opportunity for a gag here. How can we involve the audience in this part? But 10 minutes in, we're going to need to include them somehow. You know, things like that. And then you get to, um, oh, what comes next? Um, conceptualization, clarity, craft, oh, connection. Then we're looking for those moments of connection. That's when we're really, we're, we really start considering the audience in this process. And then it's captivate. And once we're in the captivate section, that's when we're rehearsing, we're polishing those skills. It's all of the stuff that you see on stage. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the process from conceptualization to captivation. Captivation. It's a fabulous process, and again, I love the alliteration. But what I also love about <laughs> it is that I think that even if someone who's listening to this has got no desire to do a keynote speech or to perform on stage, there's actually mm. a lot of skills that you've mentioned that would be beneficial in any capacity. For example, you know, creativity. Um, allowing 
like the, the best creative ideas come from mess and then come from space. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, the best ideas are, nev- are never perfectly packaged from the word go. So even if you work in marketing or finance or insurance or wherever you come from, you know, you have to have creative thinking in what you do, no matter what you do. But understanding that creativity doesn't, again, come in a perfectly packaged box. It comes from a, a place of space and mess yeah. and clunkiness yes. and icky sticky before it gets to there. And I think that especially for perfectionists, it's a really hard and uncomfortable space to be in because what we want is the perfect oh, yeah. thing, um, especially because we want that instant gratification where, okay, it's done. But um these things take time. So I think that even just learning how to be okay with that, that chaos, knowing that that is what creativity needs to play. Like that's, it yes. needs that big messy sand pit to play. And then also you started by saying the why, which is something that I always mm. encourage my clients to think about when mm. they are looking at their business and their brand, or, you know, why are you in business and um, mm. you know, what is the greater goal you're trying to achieve? Because if you're not part of a greater mission or a greater purpose, why should anyone else give a fuck? So um, <laughs> I love that that's, a part of your your process and I think that what you what you probably do is so much more than the end result taking them through that process so that's probably a good segue into your program so you've got a program called Amplify if I'm not mistaken so talk me through what what that's all about yeah so Amplify is a two-day live workshop for speaking and storytelling in business so it's all about bringing your story to the stage but when I say the stage, it's not just necessarily, particularly with Amplify for the physical stage, it can be the online stage as well. So think about how many times we need to share our story. You know, it can be on a podcast, it can be via a carousel online, it can be through lives, it can be through to ca- pieces to camera. So it's about really getting to the heart of your signature story in business, how it connects to the work you do, the programs you teach, the offers you serve, the cl- the offers you create, the clients you serve, and telling it in a way that is meaningful, masterful, and magnetic. So I take my the participants of Amplify through that process of soul story, how to tell a really wonderful story. We do your hero's journey. We turn that into a signature story. And then we touch on skills as well, you know, how to present, how to captivate an audience. Um, I, I have the 10 commandments of connection that I use. So that's everything from vulnerability, authenticity, humor, um, d- detailing, etc. So I take them through just all the different facets of, t- of telling a story. So that's a two-day pro that's a two-day kind of boot camp workshop, if you will. And the next one is here in Adelaide in February. And then next year I'm also launching the speakers circle. So that's for people who actually want to really integrate speaking into business as an income into they build a brand around crafting their talk. So both store through their ideas, captivating messages. So that's I'm, I'm that next year. it'll be a four or five month program i meant to just kind of nut out the specifics that will end in a showcase for people in um for their family and friends and people in the community in their sort of in their own communities so i'm really excited about that because i do love to with amplify it's equipping people with the tools and techniques but with the speaker circle it's taking them through the entire process and i work with them craft their story so you know i work with them on the creative process much like i work with my clients on a show so i'm really excited about the speaker circle and we're just so bloody lucky to have you. Um, 
you know, I feel like Adelaide businesses should be very proud that Amelia is 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 our own and can give us all of these wonderful skills. Um, Amelia, oh, I'm, I'm conscious of like time, as I mentioned, because I know you've got your your beautiful boys inside. Um, so tell <laughs> people how they can connect with you. Share your Instagram, um, your website, or you know, if you've got anything up, uh, you know, coming up that you want people to sign up for. How can people get in touch with you? Sure. The best place is definitely on Instagram, Amelia E. Ryan. That's probably where I'm the, I'm the most active. My website, I've got a bit of website shame, I must admit. It has sort of, it's been on maternity leave with me. It needs a bit of an update. But I'm much, everything I do goes on Instagram. So connecting with me there is a starting point. And then from there, in a couple of weeks, I'll be launching the next round of Amplify and also uh, planting seeds with the speaker circle. Amazing. So come on, yeah, Amelia Amazing. E. Ryan. There's an e, a, e for Elizabeth in there, Amelia E. Ryan. E. Ryan, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Amelia, thank you so much for your time and thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. And um, I'm looking forward to, I may be working with Amelia on a show that I'm hoping to do in the new year, so I'm very excited about that. Now, normally when I say goodbye to people on these podcasts, it's like really like awkward. It's It's always like, Oh, okay. Well, bye. Have a nice day. But I thought you could do something really fun and silly with me, and we could just say a bit like um uh on the sound of music, and we mm. say goodbye. Just goodbye. We can sing out. We can do a sing out goodbye. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Can you do like it? Can you count us in? Well, I've always wanted to play Gretel, so can I do the, and I never got to, so can I do that? The sun has gone to yes. bed and so must I. Goodbye. Your turn. Good. Do I have to go higher? Goodbye. Good. And then I can go. Beautiful. And then I'll go. Goodbye. Oh, that's beautiful. And then all the guests. At the at the at the at in our imaginary big mansion that for the party we're hosting, we all go goodbye. Oh god! Oh my god! Thank you, listeners. That'll be five dollars. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sunshine Podcast for Women in Business. If you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also share this episode with a biz bestie who needs to hear it.